Ecclesiastes 2, 17 to 26. So I hated life because the work that is done under the sun was grievous to me. All of it is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. I hated all the things I had toiled for under the sun because I must leave them to the one who comes after me. And who knows whether that person will be wise or foolish, yet that they will have control over the fruit of my toil into which I have poured my effort and skill under the sun. This too is meaningless. So my heart began to despair over all my toilsome labour under the sun. For a person may labour with wisdom, knowledge and skill, and then they must leave all their own to another who has not toiled for it. This too is meaningless and a great misfortune. What do people get for all the toil and anxious striving with which they labour under the sun? All their days their work is grief and pain, even at night their minds do not rest. This too is meaningless. A person can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in their own toil. This too, I see, is from the hand of God, for without him, who can eat or find enjoyment? To the person who pleases him, God gives wisdom, knowledge and happiness, but to the sinner, he gives the task of gathering and storing up wealth to hand it over to the one who pleases God. This too is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Ecclesiastes 5 verses 10 to 20. Whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This too is meaningless. As goods increase, so do those who consume them. And what benefit are they to the owners except to feast their eyes on them? The sleep of a labourer is sweet, whether they eat little or much. But as for the rich, their abundance permits them no sleep. I have seen a grievous evil under the sun. Wealth hoarded to the harm of its owners, or wealth lost through some misfortune, so that when they have children, there is nothing left for them to inherit. Everyone comes naked from their mother's womb, and as everyone comes, so they depart. They take nothing from their toil that they can carry in their hands. This too is a grievous evil. As everyone comes, so they depart. And what do they gain since they toil for the wind? All their days they eat in darkness with great frustration, affliction, and anger. This is what I have observed to be good, that it is appropriate for a person to drink, eat, and to find satisfaction in their toilsome labour under the sun during the few days of life God has given them, for this is their lot. Moreover, when God gives someone wealth and possessions and the ability to enjoy them, to accept their lot, and to be happy in their toil, this is a gift from God. They seldom reflect on the days of their life because God keeps them occupied with gladness of heart. Well, hello, Providence Church. <clears throat> My name's Al Stewart. Um, and if it hadn't been for the COVID-19 virus, uh, my wife Kathy and I would have a weekend away with you this year. Looks like that's not going to happen, but I hope it can happen sometime in the future. Uh, let me begin uh, by telling you one of my favorite Arnold Schwarzenegger stories. Uh, I was watching Oprah Winfrey, that's a while ago now, um, and there's a really good reason why I was watching Oprah, but I can't remember what that was. Anyway, she had the big guy on, uh, this was before he'd become governor of California, and she was fawning all over him, saying how, you know, how rich he was and how famous he was, etc. And <clears throat> he looked at her and said, Oprah, I have to tell you, I have found money doesn't buy happiness. I now have $50 million dollars. And I am no happier than when I had $48 million. I like it because Arnold's just making fun of the whole idea that we say <clears throat> money can't buy happiness, but no one actually believes that. Uh, 
I like what Spike Milligan said, all I ask is a chance to prove that money can't make me happy. And as a society, we're, we're fascinated by rich people. So every year, uh, the BRW uh, magazine or the Australian Financial Review puts out the Rich 200 list. Well, they haven't done it for 2020 yet, but here we are, 2019. They list the 200 people from, from poorest, if you can say that about that, from poorest to the richest person in Australia. So this year, um, Harry Trigoboff uh, was number three at $13.4 billion. billion. Uh, Gina, Reinhardt, uh, Gina Reinhardt was second at $13.8 billion. And Anthony Pratt and family, the richest people in Australia, at $15.5 million. <laughs> A lot of money. You know, so money is exciting, money is sexy, uh, etc. But you know what, as a preacher, when you speak on money in an audience, I know you guys are all watching on screens or whatever, but in an audience, church or a meeting room or something, you start to talk about money, the room goes quiet and people sit still. Why? Because people are worried about you reaching for their wallet because, well, um, money's about status and money's about who we are and... Um, money offers, money promises the two great things that we long for in life, and that is security to feel safe and significance to feel important. And money promises if you just have more, then you'll feel more safe and you'll be more significant. Although, does money deliver on those promises to feel safe and to feel significant? Does it really ultimately deliver? The book of Ecclesiastes in the Old Testament asks some hard questions about that. Uh, that's what we're going to look at today, so come with me. Uh, we've been at Providence Church, you've been working your way through Ecclesiastes. Uh, if this is your first time looking, let me just get you up to speed really quickly. Uh, it's a book in the Old Testament, part of the Bible, uh, about the way the world works. Chapter 1, verse 1. The words, of the, uh, sorry, the words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem. Uh, Ecclesiastes is written either by King Solomon, about 950 B.C., or, if you like, through the eyes of King Solomon, who was the patron of the wisdom literature. And how does he begin? Verse 2, meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher, utterly meaningless, everything is meaningless. Uh, the word meaningless there, it's uh, hard to translate into English. It's the Hebrew word hebel, which means a mist or a vapour. And the idea is nothing lasts. Everything's like kind of... Uh, mist or, or fog on a winter's morning and you look out later and it, it's gone. Uh, it, it slips through your fingers. It's a, a mist or a vapour. And it's a bit like building sandcastles on the beach. You know, you build them but then the tide comes in and nothing. He's saying that's the way that life feels. And so the question he's asking, um, the next verse, chapter 1, verse 3, what do people gain from all their labours at which they toil under the sun? The gain words are actually a commercial term. He's saying you work really hard and in an average working life you might do well, 9,000 working days, something like that. You do all of that and what's the bottom line? What, what have you got left at the end of it? And so, uh, look, one other little phrase. You see, he says, under the sun. What does he mean? Well, if you just look out at the world with you know, your eyes open and, and common sense, what do you see? Uh, what, what's the world like? It's as if, well, if God hadn't spoken to us in the rest of the Bible, how would you make sense of the world? He's not an atheist. 
But if you didn't have special revelation from God, if you didn't have the other 65 books of the Bible, what would you see? And so in chapter 1, he sets out on a quest to find what is it that really lasts, what gives lasting satisfaction, what doesn't ultimately turn out to be hebel and just a mist or a vapour or, or slip through your fingers. So chapter 2, he looks at wisdom and pleasure and finds that they don't ultimately last. And then he comes to the topic of money and possessions. And he looks at it a couple of times in the book. In chapter 5, he gives kind of a, a general overview of uh, the, the money and possessions really deliver. Do they really last? Uh, and then in chapter 2, there's a couple of personal observations. So let's have a look. Let me take you through quickly through chapter 5, then chapter 2, and then a couple of answers uh, from the rest of the Bible, or a couple of answers at the end. So in chapter 5, uh, Solomon gives us five problems with making money or possessions um, the meaning of life, of investing our life in having money, possessions, more and more and more. Here we go. The first problem in chapter 5, verse 10, he says this. 5, verse 10. Whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This too is meaningless. Saying if you love money, you'll, you'll never have enough. Uh, here's a graph of GDP, gross domestic product, um, per capita, right, per person, in 13 developed countries since 1870. Okay, and you can, you can see how steep that graph is in terms of more and more income per person in real terms since 1870. What's it, like 12, 15 times? And then more and more and more, and you can see Australia's line is right in there with the other developed countries. We have become richer and richer and richer in real terms per person. In fact, Australia is one of the world's wealthiest nations. Now, I know we're in the middle of the coronavirus and the economy's about to fall apart, etc., but uh, it'll get back to what it was. And let's, let's talk about the problem pre-corona. Um, Australia, the Swiss, Credit Swiss did a report. Australia is one of the world's wealthiest nations. Um, they said Australia continues to be among the wealthiest countries in the world due to our superannuation system, an unprecedented 26 years of continuous economic growth, okay, right up until March this year, um, high real estate prices, the strength of the Australian dollar, and plentiful natural resources. That's from Credit Suisse, uh, Credit, Credit Suisse study in 2018. So we get richer and richer and richer, but why do we always feel under financial pressure? Why do so many people struggle, you know, end up saying, how come there's so much month left at the end of the money? Why, why is that as a nation and as individuals? Well, I'll tell you why we don't notice it, and that is because everyone has become wealthier and wealthier. It's like, you know, we're all in boats and a rising tide lifts all the boats, but you're still living at sea level. You just don't notice it. Now, I let me give you an example. I don't want to boast, but in our home here, I'm in my little office, uh, but in our home here near Bondi Junction, we have, here we are, a mechanical dishwasher. We have a machine that washes dishes, really, and you put them in and it goes, and then they come out clean. Uh, now, do you know what? Uh, when, when I, now, okay, 
No one's amazed. No one walks into our house and goes, wow, dishwasher, because everyone's got one. And yet, a long time ago, when I was a little kid in the country town I grew up in, we had two dishwashers in our, in our home. That was me and my brother. My dad said, do the dishes, and we did. No one had mechanical like, machine dishwashers. Now, everyone's got one. Or, you know, colour television. That was a big deal until 1974. Um, now televisions get bigger and bigger and bigger and no one even notices. Or a mobile phone. In the early 90s when they came out, they were the size of paving bricks and they weighed about 10 kilos. And they were a really big deal. Now in our family, everyone's got a mobile phone except the dog. He has trouble with the opposable thumb things. But uh, what, what's my point? The goalposts keep moving. And so... Um, Yesterday's luxuries become today's necessities become invisible tomorrow. You don't even see the results of all of the wealth that's come over the last few generations. We just look to the next thing. Well, the second problem, he says this in chapter 5, verse 11. As goods increase, so do those who consume them. And what benefit are they to the owners except to feast their eyes on them? After a while, you can only look at so much stuff. I remember my brother telling my dad about um, my brother's business partner. And uh, um, Mark, my brother, said to dad, and, and what he did, uh, he, he bought this big house, it's just him and his wife, and he took the, the, the roof off and then he put a whole first story on and moved the bedrooms upstairs and he's got this massive lounge room. And, and we counted, we went to visit him, we counted 16 lounge chairs in the, in the lounge room, 16. And my dad said, yeah, I bet he's only got one bum. What can you do but look? Um, or there's Marie Kondo um, and her um, life-changing magic of tidying up. She sold 10 million copies of that. Why? Because we've got so much stuff. It just We're drowning in it. James Wallman brought out a book called Stuffocation. Um, he's just saying we're drowning in more and more and more stuff. Uh, in it, he says, um, one in four Americans and 50% of British people can't put their car in their garage because it's full of junk. I said that to a young guy at Surrey Hills, and he said, where I live, near where I lived, he said, oh, I just like a garage. Fair enough. What can you do but look at it after a while? Or oh, the third problem, um, verse 5 verse 12. The sleep of a labourer is sweet whether they eat little or much, but as for the rich, their abundance permits them no sleep. That is stress and worry over your financial portfolio, all that kind of thing can keep you awake. Um, now I know the stock market has crashed since March and I guess it's kind of an irony of the ones who worry most about that are the people with enough money to own shares. Um, it's like the more you have, the more you have to worry about. And then problem four, chapter five, verse 13, he says, I've seen a grievous evil under the sun, wealth hoarded for the harm of its owners or wealth lost through some misfortune, so that when they have children, there's nothing left for them to inherit. <clears throat> you hang around long enough, you see cat fights and um, arguments about, about wills and, and inheritances. Um, uh, you know the old saying, where there's a will, there's a relative. If you doubt that it's possible to lose a whole lot of wealth and so your children have nothing, just Google billionaires who lost it all. 
and there's page after page or listing after listing of people who were billionaires and then somehow they managed to lose it all. And the fifth problem, perhaps the most serious of all, um, you see chapter 5 verse 15, everyone comes naked from their mother's womb and as everyone comes so they depart. They take nothing uh, from their toil that they can carry in their hands. Verse 16, this too is a grievous evil. As everyone comes, so they depart. And what do they gain since they toil for the wind? All their days they eat in darkness with great frustration, affliction and anger. What's he saying? You work really hard for it and you accumulate all this stuff, but eventually you leave it all behind. Now, obviously, I'm pre-recording this. Um, great to be with you. But, you know, yesterday I took a funeral uh, for a man who was well, seven years younger than me. A man who was 54 and died suddenly. And his family were grieving. It was such a sad funeral. They were only allowed to have 10 people there. It would have been hundreds if they'd been allowed. And, and they wept. And then they put the coffin in the grave, in the ground. And there's... There's very few things that are as confronting as an empty grave or a grave with a coffin there. And as I looked in, I thought it was a beautiful coffin, but there was no luggage. He didn't take anything with him. This man left everything behind, and so will all of us. Now, there's your, there's your five problems. I'll give a quick summary in a moment. But in chapter 2... Uh, he moves to a much more personal thing. He talks about personally how he struggled. And Solomon was a very rich and successful uh, king. Look at chapter 2, verse 18. He says this, I hated all the things that I had toiled for under the sun because I must leave them to one who comes after me. And who knows whether that person will be wise or foolish. Yet they will have control over all the fruit of my toil into which I have poured my effort and skill under the sun. This too is meaningless. Saying, who knows whether the person I leave it all to will be an idiot. I can't help but think that maybe Solomon kind of looked out the window then and saw his son Rehoboam uh, outside or something and he realised that Rehoboam was a complete muppet, which which he was. So Rehoboam inherited Solomon's kingdom, which was rich and powerful and, uh, and huge. And he managed to divide the kingdom, to set up the seeds of civil war, to lose 10 of the 12 tribes of Israel to, uh, to the north, to Jeroboam. And he managed to achieve that in four days. He was a complete muppet. Chapter 2, verse 20. So my heart began to despair, he said, he said um, despair over all my toilsome labour under the sun. For a person may labour with wisdom and knowledge and skill, and then they must leave all they own to another who has not toiled for it. This too is meaningless and a great misfortune. Saying it, nothing lasts, a meaningless word. It's, it's a mist, it's a vapour. It just, you know, slips through your fingers. So we'll leave it all behind. And personally, he struggles with that. So you see the five problems. Here they are up on the screen. First one, if we love money, we'll always want more. Two, um, uh, as we own more and more and more stuff, we can only look at it. We'll only have ever have one bum, right? Um, three, uh, riches can bring stress and worry, um, uh, etc. Or it can mean 
overindulgence. If you're rich, you overeat, etc. in the ancient world. Four, riches can damage those who hold them uh, and they can, they can disappear. And five, we'll leave it all behind and give it to someone else who hasn't worked for it. Uh, it is inevitable. Now, um, do you believe that? Do you believe that? It's a great challenge to say, don't invest our lives in stuff that we own and money, etc. Um, well, uh, what's the answer? Well, Ecclesiastes has a first answer, and then we'll look at what Jesus says. Ecclesiastes says, here's, the an here's, here's an answer to that. Instead of wanting to own the world and have more and more and more, how about we relax and actually enjoy it? Instead of wanting to own it, how about we look at enjoying it? Uh, and he talks about that, enjoying it under the sun as you look out at the world. In chapter 5, verse 18, he says this, This is what I have observed to be good, that it is appropriate for a person to eat and drink, uh, sorry, to eat, to drink, and to find satisfaction in their toilsome labour under the sun during the few days of life God has given them. For this is their lot, verse 19, Moreover, when God gives someone wealth and possessions and the ability to enjoy them, to accept their lot and be happy in their toil, this is the gift of God. They seldom reflect on the days of their life because God keeps them occupied with gladness of heart. So the alternative to wanting more and more is actually be able to enjoy what you've got, to be able to eat and drink, and if you can enjoy your job, your toil, that's the gift of God. And so life is good. God has blessed this country, hasn't I? I can think, hey, you know what? I've got a dishwasher. How good is that? Um, and I've got a colour TV. All right. And, I, and a mobile phone. And I live in a city where the trains run basically on time. And you now the traffic's not as good as in Brisbane, but it's not too bad in Sydney. Right? Okay. And probably, don't tell anyone I said this, but it's probably even better living in Brisbane than Sydney. Um, I. In our society, with a little piece of plastic, a credit card, you can turn up at a restaurant and or cafe, wave it around, and, well, in the olden days, you could sit down and eat. Now you can get takeaway, but how good is that? Or I live near um, some of the bays, Double Bay and Rose Bay, etc., and you drive past, and, and on the harbour are all these big, beautiful yachts. Now, I haven't got a yacht, but, hey, I've got the harbour and the sun and the water, and it, it, it's beautiful. And verse 19, if you can be happy in your toil, if you can actually enjoy your job, wow, that's, that's the gift of God. All right. Um, now, uh, it's not as if we say, uh, we don't live just under the sun. That, that's common sense, yes. We don't live just under the sun. God, God has spoken to us. And... Um, uh, as a society, see, we get richer and richer, but it's never enough. I'll tell you why. It's because, it's because we have a great blind spot. Uh, now, I've, I've taught um, four of my kids to drive. I think it was 250 hours of driving lessons, okay? <laughs> um, and, and when a kid gets in a car, the first thing you teach them is about their blind spot because it's right beside you. The, the two mirrors, but you can't see a car right beside you. You've always got to turn and look. And Jesus is saying, you know what? Money and possessions are like that because greed is our blind spot. No one thinks they're greedy. Um, look at what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount. 
Um, Matthew chapter 6 and verse 22. He says this, The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? He's saying, if you... If your eyes are bad, if, if your eyes are blinded by greed, you actually won't be able to see the truth about money and possessions. Money and possessions are good, but they'll never hold the weight that we put on them if we make them the meaning of life. Um, it's the great lie of greed. If I just have more, I'll be, I'll be happier, I'll be more secure, I'll, and it doesn't deliver. And then Jesus asked the question, okay, uh, can you see the truth? Are your eyes light? Or dark can you see the truth and then he asks who is our master uh, Matthew chapter 6 verse 24 he says this no one can serve two masters either you will hate the one and love the other or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other you cannot serve both God and money so you've got to ask the question who's going to be my master uh, money or God uh, the word there, master, uh, it's a Greek word, kurios, it means Lord. Now, how, how can you tell who your master would be? Because it's interesting how often Jesus teaches about money. But how can you tell? Well, um, who do we serve with our time and energy? Who sets our values? Now, in other words, what do we love? What do we um, really care about? And who or what gives us status and security? Okay, so who do we serve? Who sets our values? Who gives us status and security? If it's money and possessions, well, our time and energy will consume our lives with the chasing for more and more and more, and it'll never be enough. And our values, you know what? If, you, if, you, if, if greed is, is your great blind spot, we'll end up putting things and money ahead of people. And if money's where we get our status from, we'll spend our whole life looking sideways to see how we're competing with, with our peers, and it'll never be enough. And yet, if we serve God, money becomes our servant. So if we serve Jesus, our time and energy will be really directed about knowing him and helping others to know him. Um, our values, you know what? Uh, once you actually put Jesus in charge, we're able to be satisfied and content and, and see the good things that we have and be able to enjoy them. And our status? Well, security and significance will actually come from knowing him. He is the one that will keep us safe. He is the one that says what we're worth, in fact, worth dying for. And so how can we tell who our master is? You know, one of the, one of the best tests is, uh, are you able to give money away? Uh, I mean, and I mean a few zeros, or with another number in front. But are you able to give money away? If money is your servant, you'll be able to be generous with it. Right? You'll be able to invest in what you love. Right? Now, Jesus doesn't say this, um, you can't serve God and money. Jesus doesn't say this to spoil our fun. Jesus says this so we won't invest our lives in something that ultimately will be a mist or a vapour, something that will be ultimately a false god so there you go who who is our master who do we serve um, it's because jesus loves us that he asks us these hard questions you pray with me
Lord God, we ask please you give us eyes that see, that see the good things you give us and help, please help us to enjoy them simply as your good gifts. Please help us to see what it means to live with you as our master and to be able to have our goods, our possessions, our money as our servants and so to bless other people. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.